Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. America faces a choice. This is Battleground America. Here's Tara Servatius. The first sign that something was very wrong, something we'd never seen before, at least to me, came from an unexpected place my child's fifth grade classroom. Suddenly, in the fifth grade, everything changed. In my child's self-contained classroom, 27 kids, all of the most popular girls said they were lesbians or bisexual. The single most popular child in the class claimed to be transgender. Again, this is fifth grade. And several pairs of girls had already broken off into couples. In much the same way, parachute pants, members-only jackets were hot, hip, cool, rainbows now were it was ubiquitous gay trans non-binary culture wasn't just something to be tolerated as part of an open-hearted genuine stab at diversity no this was beyond celebration this was a fad and it's huge i talked about it on the air my shock i hadn't seen this before the fifth grade and a father who was one of my listeners went home and asked his daughter who goes to the local christian private school if this was going on there Like most kids, she'd never talked to him about it before. He figured she'd say, no, it was a Christian school. Instead, she told him this. Yep, half the girls in my class say they're lesbians. The pressure on girls to conform to non-heterosexuality is massive. It's in our schools, and you can't underestimate its power. It's reinforced at every turn in every corner by so many, not all, but so many teachers. In my South Carolina school system, though, it wasn't coming from the teachers, really. They were the reasonable ones. It was the kids that were plum nuts, especially the girls. There's simply no way that this is possible. So when I saw this, I went, yes, this is what's happening. The March 2022 American Perspective Survey. You may remember I did a Battleground podcast on it at the time, but it had this shocking finding. Just... 56% of Gen Z women consider themselves straight, heterosexual. Let me repeat that. Just 56% of Gen Z women consider themselves to be heterosexual. A full 28% said they were bisexual and the rest lesbians. For Gen Z men, it's 75% who say they're straight. That's compared to 91% of senior men And that 56% of young women who say they're heterosexual, the rest are not. 
Yeah, that's compared to 83% of senior women. But I've seen firsthand how society gets here. Massive peer pressure against being white and heterosexual. It's almost unacceptable for women. Needless to say, that was the last year my kids attended public schools. We're not going back. I'm all for tolerance and acceptance of people who aren't like us. My mama had a word for it. It was manners. But this was something else, something I'd never seen before. And our side just doesn't get it. They don't understand the extent of it and also the extent of the pressure to abandon your gender. This may take the form of transgenderism, but much hotter right now among young people, non-binaryism, just rejecting gender entirely. I think a lot of folks on our side of the aisle think this is just one of those things some tiny percentage of the population does. Or they say things like, why are we obsessed with this? It's hardly anybody. You might want to spend a little bit of time at your local public school. Dr. Stanley Goldfarb, board chair of Do No Harm and former associate dean for curriculum at the University of Pennsylvania School of Medicine, told a Daily Caller investigator that there's currently about 100 gender change clinics for youths running in the country. And to make them work financially, he says, you need about, well, I should say at least 300 patients. Rough estimate, that's between 10,000 and 30,000 children undergoing some form of gender transition in the U.S. each year. Most likely, that means at least puberty blockers. The Kaiser Family Foundation puts it at 43,000 children. So far in the U.S. in recent years have gone through gender transition, which again would mean at least puberty blockers. There's not a lot of good numbers for it yet that are public because there's no good way to track it. An investigation from the Daily Caller found, but they found this. From 27 to 20, 2017 to 2019, there was 776 mastectomies performed on minors for the purpose of sex change. But even they say this vastly underestimates the scope of child sex change industry surgeries because it excludes so many patients. So what is it today? The numbers are likely huge. We just had another study by the University of California, Los Angeles Williams Institute that found that about 300,000 children in the U.S. at least identify as transgender. After what I saw in my child's class, that doesn't surprise me at all. Last week, the U.K. Daily Mail had a story that sounded just like my child's class. Headline, doctors at St. Louis Transgender Clinic told teachers to affirm an entire group of fifth grade girls who all out of nowhere suddenly said they were transgender and wanted to change their pronouns. It started with one, spread through the class. Yep, I've watched this. The scandal was that the teacher of the class actually wrote to a doctor at the clinic asking what to do, telling that doctor she thought it was social contagion. The scandal was that the doctor she wrote to at the clinic told this teacher she should transition them all referred to all of them by their preferred pronouns. But this is not the way gender dysphoria is supposed to work. People who have it, legitimately have it, display signs from the time they're very young. They don't suddenly start in the middle of fifth grade because all their girlfriends are doing it. Bottom line, school has become a pipeline to the gender transition clinic. And it's what's going on there that's even more shocking. Parents often make the assumption that a doctor wouldn't hurt their child. In this case... They're wrong. This stunning article by a lesbian woman by the name of Jamie Reed, who was working as an intake coordinator 
at a transition clinic. The Washington University Transgender Center at St. Louis Children's Hospital tells a story which has to be read to be believed. When she became the intake coordinator, she thought she was helping kids. She's not exactly a closet conservative either. She describes her politics as to the left of Bernie Sanders. During the four years I worked at the clinic as a case manager, she said, around a thousand distressed young people came through our doors. The majority of them got hormone prescriptions that can have life altering consequences, including, she writes, sterility. I left the clinic in November of last year, she writes, because I could no longer participate in what was happening there. By the time I departed, I was certain the that the way the American medical system is treating these patients is the opposite of the promise we make to do no harm. Instead, we're permanently harming the vulnerable patients in our care. For Jamie Reed, this is a passion. Her husband, who is actually a woman, is a transgender man. She strongly supports transgender people. But she writes that as soon as she began working there, she realized something was very, very wrong. Soon after my arrival at the transgender center, she said, I was struck by the lack of formal protocols for treatment. The center's physician co-directors were essentially the sole authority. At first, she writes, the patient population was tipped toward what used to be the traditional instance of a child with gender dysphoria, a boy, often quite young, who wanted to present as, who wanted to be, a girl. Until 2015 or so, she said, a very small number of these boys comprised the population of pediatric gender dysphoria cases. Then, across the Western world, there began to be a dramatic increase in a new population, teenage girls, many with no history previously of gender distress, suddenly declared they were transgender and demanded immediate treatment with testosterone. I certainly saw this at the center. One of my jobs was to do intake for new patients and their families. When I started, there were probably 10 such calls a month. When I left... There were 50, and about 70% of the new patients were girls. Sometimes clusters of girls arrived from the same high school, she says, at the same time. This concerned me, but didn't feel I was in the position to sound some kind of alarm back then. There was a team of eight of us, and only one other person brought up the kinds of questions I had. Anyone who raised doubts ran the risk of being called a transphobe. The girls who came to us, she writes, had many comorbidities, depression, anxiety, ADHD, eating disorders, obesity. Many were diagnosed with autism or had autism-like symptoms. A report last year on our British Pediatric Transgender Center found that about a third of the patients referred there were on the autism spectrum. Yeah, that was in the UK Daily Mail. Frequently, she writes, our patients declared they had disorders that no one believed they had. We had patients who said they had Tourette syndrome, but they didn't that they had tick disorders, but they didn't, that they had multiple personalities, but they didn't. She writes, the, pro- the doctors privately recognized these false self-diagnoses as a manifestation of social contagion. They even acknowledged that suicide has an element of social contagion. But when I said the clusters of girls streaming into our service looked as if their gender issues might be a manifestation of social contagion, she said, the doctors shut her down. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. 
Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Told her no. Here's the scary part. To begin transitioning, she writes, the girls needed a letter of support from a therapist, usually one we recommended, who they had to see only once or twice for the green light. To make it more efficient for the therapist, we offered them a template for how to write a letter in support of transition. The next stop was a single visit to the endocrinologist for a testosterone prescription. That's all it took. When a female takes testosterone, the profound and permanent effects of the hormone can be seen in a matter of month. months. Voices drop, beards sprout, body fat is redistributed. Folks, a matter of months, and it's permanent. Sexual interest explodes, she writes. Aggression increases, and mood can be unpredictable. Our patients were told about some side effects, including sterility, but after working at the center, I came to believe that teenagers are simply not capable of fully grasping what it means to make the decision to become infertile while still a minor. And there were no reliable studies, she said, showing that the treatments actually improved the lives of these young people. Here's an example, she said, of some of their troubled patients. She got a letter about a 15-year-old male patient from another person at the clinic. Here's the email. Oh, dear. I am concerned that the patient does not understand what bicalutamide does. I responded, I don't think we start anything, honestly, right now with that patient. That drug is a medication used to treat metastatic prostate cancer. And one of its side effects is that it feminizes the bodies of men who take it, including the appearance of breasts. The center, get this, prescribed this cancer drug as a puberty blocker and feminizing agent for boys. As with most cancer drugs, it has a long list of side effects, and the patient experienced one of them, liver toxicity. He was sent to another unit of the hospital for evaluation and immediately taken off the drug. After, afterward, his mother sent an electronic message to the transgender center saying that we were lucky her family was not the type to sue. How little patients understood what they were getting into was illustrated by a call we got at the center in 2020 from a 17-year-old biological female patient who was on testosterone. She said she was bleeding from the vagina. In less than an hour, she'd soaked through a heavy pad, her jeans, and a towel she had wrapped around her waist. The nurse at the center told her to go to the emergency room right away. We found out later this girl had had intercourse, and because testosterone thins the vaginal tissues, Her vaginal canal had, oh my gosh, ripped open. She had to be sedated and given surgery to repair the damage. She wasn't the only vaginal laceration case we heard about. Other girls were disturbed by the effects of testosterone on their clitoris, which enlarges and grows into what looks like a microphallus or a tiny penis. I counseled one patient with enlarged clitoris, now extended below her vulva, as it chafed and rubbed painfully in her jeans and pants. I advised her to get the kind of compression undergarments worn by biological men who dress to pass as female. At the end of the call, I thought to myself, wow, we hurt this kid. Folk, this is permanent. There are rare conditions in which babies are born with atypical genitalia, cases that call for sophisticated care and compassion, she writes. But clinics like the one where I worked, are creating a whole cohort of kids with atypical genitals. And most of these teens haven't even had sex yet, she writes. They had no idea who they were going to be as adults. Yet all it took for them to permanently transform themselves was one or two short conversations with a therapist. 
being put on powerful doses of testosterone or estrogen, enough to try to trick your body into mimicking the opposite sex, affects the rest of the body. I doubt that any parent who's ever consented to give their kid testosterone a lifelong treatment knows that they're also possibly signing their kid up for blood pressure medication, cholesterol medication, and perhaps sleep apnea and diabetes. All side effects of these medications when used on the opposite gender. But sometimes the parents' understanding of what they'd agreed to do to their children came forcefully, unfortunately, eventually. She uses an email as an example from a parent. Please be advised, I'm revoking my consent for this course of medical treatment. Grades have dropped. There's been an inpatient behavioral health visit. And now he's on five different medications, Lexapro, uh, Trazodone, Boostpar, etc. He is a shell of his former self, riddled with anxiety. Who knows if it's because the hormone blockers or the other medications. I revoke my consent. I want the hormone blocker removed. Thank you. Besides teenage girls, she writes, another new group was referred to us. Young people from the inpatient psychiatric unit or the emergency department of St. Louis Children's Hospital. The mental health of these kids was deeply concerning. There were diagnoses like schizophrenia, PTSD, bipolar disorder, and more. Often, they were already on a fistful of pharmaceuticals. This was tragic, she writes, but unsurprising given the profound trauma some had been through. Yet no matter how much suffering or pain a child had endured or how little treatment and love they had received, our doctors viewed gender transition, even with all the expense and hardship it entailed, as the solution. But these are all, you know, older teenagers, right? Nope. In Missouri, she writes, only one parent's consent is required for treatment of their child. But when there's a dispute between the parents, it seems the center always took the side of the affirming parent. My concerns about this approach to dissenting parents grew in 2019 when one of our doctors actually testified in a custody hearing against a father who opposed a mother's wish to start their, get this, 11-year-old daughter on puberty blockers. She writes, I'd done the original intake call and I found the mother quite disturbing. She and the father were getting divorced and the mother described the daughter as kind of a tomboy. So now the mother was convinced her child was trans. But when I asked if her daughter had adopted a boy's name, If she was distressed about her body, if she was saying she felt like a boy, the mother said no. I explained the girl didn't meet the criteria for an evaluation. Then a month later, the mother called back and said her daughter was now using a boy's name, was in distress over her body and wanted to transition. This time, the mom and daughter were given an appointment. Our providers decided the girl was trans and prescribed a puberty blocker to prevent her normal development. The father adamantly disagreed, said this was all coming from the mother, and a custody battle ensued. Well, the judge, after the center's doctors testified for the mom, sided with the mom, and the 11-year-old got the puberty blockers. By 2019, she said, a new group of people appeared on her radar, D-sisters and D-transitioners. D-sisters choose not to go through with a transition, and D-transitioners are transgender people who decide to return to their birth gender. One problem, a lot of these changes are kind of permanent. Anyway, she said she wanted to begin creating and keeping a document, keeping track of all these D-transitioners so they could begin to figure out, you know, what percentage of these kids didn't want the permanent changes they ended up with. If we look to Finland, you could see why doctors at that gender clinic didn't want to keep track. Listen to this. Finland's leading expert on pediatric gender medicine, who herself 
runs a gender clinic. She's the chief psychiatrist at Tampere University, says years of treating these children show that four out of five children will grow out of their gender confusion. And she says to leave them alone. We don't want to do anything permanent with them until they're adults because of that. Her name is Dr. Rita Kurtu Kaltiala. And she says that while it's important to accept the child as they are, it's also necessary to recognize that it's common for children to strongly identify with the opposite sex at some point in their lives. But four out of five children who identify as transgender will grow out of it during puberty. So we must not make permanent changes. But tell that to Democrats in the state of Virginia. They control the Senate in Virginia, and they just voted to keep child gender transitions secret from parents. See, that's what concerns me. If you Google transgender gender in schools all over the country, you find stories about teachers and administrators hiding the social transition of kids from parents, sometimes even secretly encouraging it. In Idaho, yes, red Idaho, the Idaho School Board's Association has directed public school districts to prevent employees from disclosing student requests to change their names or gender to parents. In other words, upon the pain of being fired, these teachers are to call the students by their new pronouns at school and acknowledge their new name and identity at school, but are essentially to lie to parents when they interact with them by reverting back to the old name and old gender pronouns. In other words, hide the transition. This is what scares me. My kids attend virtual school now, but one teacher this year in high school asked the kids for their preferred pronouns and let them know she'd use them in class. See, my fear is the transition we're undergoing here is from schools affirming this to schools taking charge of, you know, the drive to the transgender clinic for the puberty blockers and not telling mom and dad. They're a hop, skip, and a jump away from this in many blue states. It's where they're going. This is why the left fought so vociferously in Florida for the right to indoctrinate kids as young as kindergarten in the idea they might not be the gender they were born into. Here's what you can do. You need to ask your kids if this is going on in their schools. You need to talk earnestly about this with them. What are their friends identifying as? What are people in their classes identifying as? What is going on in your school? If you get the truth out of them, it might shock you. Battleground America with Tara Servatius. Please subscribe on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Share with friends, family, and other free thinkers. Thanks for listening. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. 
Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.